We welcome you to the media ministry of Denton Bible Church. Welcome those that might be tuning in with us online tonight. Um, this passage is, uh, I use the word simple, but we know all of God's words very profound. It's very deep. But it is a simple story. And I want to just encourage you here tonight that all of us, all of us need this simple story here tonight. I don't know what you might have gone through or be facing right now in your lives. All of us uh, walking different paths, our past and uh, what we're going through right now. But whatever you're facing, uh, I think you're in this story and I'm in this story. One of my favorite in all the scriptures. As we've been looking at in the Gospel of Luke, the wonder years, the miracles, signs, wonders, the works of Jesus that he did supernaturally in changing people's lives, altering creation sometimes and, and, and performing miracles in different ways. Only the Son of God could do that. This is another one. I'd love for you to think with me about divine appointments. Have you ever been somewhere, you met someone, you, you maybe not have planned to go a certain place, but after you met that person, you went to that place, you realized God was in that. He caused that meeting to take place. It could be about a job. It could be about something for your children, your family. It could be about something of, of you've been praying about for a long time, a desire of your heart. And I want you to think about that tonight, divine appointments. The scripture says the, the steps of a good man, a good woman, they're, they're ordered by the Lord. Our steps as we walk with him are ordered. He knows where we will be. He knows who we'll meet. Sometimes we look at setbacks and we think, oh, I'm going to be late today and this happened and I wasn't counting on this and I'll have to. And we look at that as something always that's bad. But through the eyes of Scripture, we can look at it and say, all things, we know all things work together for good. Even those setbacks, even those disappointments in our life, God is working for good on behalf of those that love him. So I want you to look just in the most positive way you can think of here tonight about some of the disappointments. You and I, we could list some, couldn't we? We could really, I'd have, you'd have to bring me some more paper when I got through because I, I could list a lot of disappointments in my life. But when I sit back and look in the, in the big scheme of things, I realize that a lot of those disappointments are God's appointments. He knew ahead of time what was going to happen. It may be a, a no. I had a guy come to me one time and he said, I've been told, told no 10 times in job interviews. And I said, well, you, you realize you need to be told no enough times till you get to the yes, don't you? Where God has you, he's planned for you to be. And it may be a hundred no's. I'm going to give you some examples here tonight of disappointments. But we're going to look at a man who I believe was very acquainted with disappointment in his life. Things didn't turn out the way he had hoped. You ever been there? Uh, our disappointments. Now, a lot of you know who Dirk was. Dirk Nowitzki, he played for the Mavs. And you haven't forgotten him yet, have you? Okay, good. Uh, there's some other guy named, named Luca that's on the scene right now. But... Dirk, oh, I, I knew that was going to happen. <clears throat> I'm surely not going to say anything about a college, in, uh, college station. You know, I'm not going to do that. Uh, Dirk scored 31,560 points in his career. That's a lot of points in, a, in an, uh, an NBA career. 
But in his very first game, he shot five field goals and he missed every one of them. He missed every one of them. Five attempts and this guy who's so skilled and had a great career, but he just threw up bricks. I got to play on our high school team on uh, varsity when I was a sophomore and I came off the bench and the guy put me in there in a tournament that we were playing Abilene. I mean a big, big city because we had a, a, a pretty good basketball team at that time. And I remember my first shot. I went down like normal and I've shot that a thousand times, but the nerves were a little bit heightened that day and, and I was uh, smaller than most everybody else. And I just went down there and I was about ready to shoot one of those shots and the last dribble, I dribbled it right off my foot and it just went, everybody did just what you did, laughed at me and everything. And my coach was wise enough though, he didn't yell or anything. He just kind of smiled and told me to get back out there and do it again. And the next time I was able to shoot that shot. Disappointments come sometimes, but God can use disappointments for his appointment. Let me give you another, a few other examples. Babe Ruth, home run king, hit 714 home runs. That, that uh, record didn't get beaten for a long, long time. But we don't realize that he struck out 1,330 times. We don't think about that. We think about his accomplishments and what he did in those home runs. Does everybody know what WD-40 is? If you work around your house, you must know. On your car, you must know what it is. Do you know what WD-40 stands for? You do. Tell me what it is, please. Water, water displacement formula, 40. You know why it's called 40? Because 39 times the inventor of that failed. He tried 39 times before he got it right, and now it's called water displacement 40, and it works really well. Edison, you probably heard that, inventor of the light bulb. He, was, he had a 1,000 unsuccessful attempts how many of you would quit about the 500? I mean, I, I would have been gone after a few. This isn't going to work. The world's going to be without this thing called electricity because I just can't figure it out. He had a thousand unsuccessful attempts at inventing the light bulb. And he is reported to have said when a reporter asked him, how did it feel to fail 1,000 times? And Edison replied, I didn't fail 1,000 times. The light bulb was an invention with 1,000 steps. That's positive. That is good. Uh, in basketball, since I'm talking about my illustrious athletic career, uh, I scored for the other team one time. Is that not good? I jumped up to get the rebound, and our coach always told us he wanted us to be like the big schools, you know. And he, he told us to grab that ball and just slap it because you're going to aggressively get that rebound. And I jumped up as high as I could and I tipped it right in for them. So whatever my number of points in my whole high school career, there is a minus one in there also. When my daughter was in junior high, my daughter was always gifted. She knew how to read. Her mom taught her to read before she went to school. She, uh, she could spell. I mean, as a little girl, she could spell, and she would just find something if it was misspelled all the time. And we were just amazed because she could really spell. So in junior high, she had studied all year long and they were going to the UIL meet and there were four of them, three and an alternate. And she had studied, she was so excited. The teachers were excited because this little girl could spell. 
But when they got there to the meet, they took them in the order, alphabetical order of the people that were there. And Katie was Katie Spencer, and she was an S, and that put her in the fourth position. And she became an alternate, and she couldn't compete. So she was crying, and the teacher was crying, the principal was crying. They're calling us on the phone. We're sorry. We never dreamed that that would happen. And you know, as a parent, when your child hurts, you hurt too. And we stayed up late for her to come home that night, and we just all cried. But when we have disappointments, and you may say, you haven't described anything like what I've been through, and I'm sure we've had some other bigger disappointments. Is God on vacation? Is he absent during that time? No. He can use those disappointments for a divine appointment. Let me give you a few more examples. Uh, I believe the greatest basketball player of all time. We could have a discussion about that. We do in our office building from time to time. It was Michael Jordan. Um, It's said that he was cut from his high school team. I looked that up. He really wasn't cut. He was just brought down from the varsity to the junior varsity so he could develop some. Do you think Michael Jordan developed some in his basketball skills? He was disappointed. Uh, Walt Disney was fired from his job at a newspaper because they said he lacked imagination. That's good. Steven Spielberg was rejected from film school three times. Uh, John Grisham's first book, A Time to Kill, was rejected 28 times. If any of you have ever tried to get something published, uh, they're pretty harsh sometimes. And so that gives me a little comfort there. I've been working on something. 28 times. Albert Einstein had the label of being mentally slow put on his permanent school record. So we can have one disappointment right after another. I like this one. Elvis Presley was fired from the Grand Ole Opry and told that he needed to go back to truck driving. And then uh, Colonel Harlan Sanders. Does anybody under 30 know who Harlan Sanders was? Christian, who was Harlan Sanders? Colonel Sanders, KFC. He was rejected over 1,000 times before finding a franchise partner. There's a man named Frederick Faber who was an English hymn writer of the 1800s. And he said this, there are no disappointments to those whose wills are buried in the will of God. And what he meant by that is that when we're walking with Christ and we realize that God's in control of everything, even what seems to be a disappointment, a setback, something we weren't counting on, and that's what a, that's what a disappointment is. It's something that, that is, fails to meet our expectation. It's a strong emotion that comes when something fails to meet our expectation. But as believers, we realize that God's in control of those things too. It couldn't have happened except God at least allowed it. And if Romans 8, 28 is true, that God can make a, something good out of anything, so can I look at that and say, thank you in all circumstances, 1 Thessalonians 5. Did he really mean that? Give thanks in all circumstances. Wait a minute. I've had some things happen this week that I'm really not too thankful for, but God says, no, you can give thanks because he's able to take those disappointments and those setbacks and make something good out of them. So let's look at our text a little bit, and this won't take very long, hopefully, but it is just a beautiful story of a man who knew what disappointment was. And you may be here tonight, and we may not know you yet. You may be the first time, or we may know you very well. 
but you have something right now in your heart that's that's a that's a burden it's a hurt and you may need somebody to pray with you tonight we'd just love to do that we would love to do that look with me there in luke 18 verse 35 as jesus was approaching jericho when we mention jericho what do you remember from sunday school days you remember jericho this fortified city one of the first places that Joshua and the children of Israel entered into the land of Canaan, and they were to destroy that. But they came up to six-foot-thick walls. They came up to, a in, in those days, to have a wall built around your city was a tremendous military advantage. If you go to Israel today, you'll see some of the walls, old ancient walls still around areas and oftentimes, if you're looking right at me and you're looking at the wall, the gate into the wall would not be straight. It would be at a right angle or a left angle. They would have to stop, slow down, and then turn to enter the gate. And that was strategic also. So people that are on top of the wall could have time to stop them. So a wall was very important. And Jericho was, was fortified. The only difference uh, with this and other people that might have attacked them is that God was for Israel. And God had already shown the, the people of Jericho that, that God's judging them for their sins. They've rejected God for all these hundreds of years and God's driving them out of that land and he's given it to Israel. Even the Canaanites of that day acknowledge, we know God's given you this land. We still have, when you turn on your news today, we still have conflicts in that same land of people claiming it. But even their ancestors said, we know God has given this land to the Jewish people. So Jericho, we think of walls falling down. Can there be other walls that seem like this insurmountable in our lives? This guy that he's about to talk to here had some, some pretty thick walls in his life too. Things it would be impossible for him to do except for God. So Jesus was approaching Jericho. A blind man was sitting by the road begging. In one of the other gospels, Mark chapter 10, we find out that the blind, man na blind man's name was Bartimaeus. When you see the word bar in front of a name, Simon bar Jonah, bar Jesus, bar mitzvah, it means son of, son of. So Bartimaeus was son of Timaeus, and the name actually meant son of honor. How honorable do you think he felt that he was on the side of the road? He was a beggar. He was blind and couldn't see. He couldn't help himself. It would have been difficult for him to have his daily food, medical care. He didn't have family and friends did he know disappointment? I believe he did greatly. This son of honor that had a wonderful name had a miserable life because of disappointments. Let me think uh, with me for a moment about this man. First of all, he was blind. He was a beggar. He was sitting by the road. It doesn't say he had a piece of cardboard with will work for food or can you help me? God bless you. But let's be honest for a moment. When we see people like that down here on I-35 or at the different uh, intersections, 
are we tempted to think, why are they doing that? I've heard about all the people that park their nice new car a few blocks away and come down there and try to scam people. Be honest, do do those thoughts ever come to your mind? They do to mine. And I've got to be really careful because some of those people sitting on the side of the road asking for help really need it. And so I wonder if people walk by him, oh, blind Bartimaeus, you know, if he'd get up and do something, if he would help himself, if he would do this or that, he wouldn't be in the shape. Surely he sinned against God, but he wouldn't be blind. God must be punishing him. The world is real quick to judge, aren't we? We shoot our wounded. We fail to realize. I heard when I was a little boy, be careful not to judge someone until you've walked a mile in his shoes. You remember that? So I believe that Bartimaeus would have probably known many, many people looking down on him. He's blind. He's a beggar. He's sitting by the road. He is dependent upon other people to do for him things that he cannot do. You know who some of the heroes, I believe, of the faith are? They're caretakers. Right now in our church, we have an older population. We have many, many people that are getting up in years. Uh, One of the healthiest, it'd be great if he's listening here tonight, is 102. He's going to outlive us all. He swims almost every day. He golfs three times a week till not long ago. He drove his own car. He worked out at the senior center. Uh, he swims over here at the natatorium, and if you talk to the girls that work in that, they, they say, oh, we, can, we love him. He comes in all the time. He went with us about five years ago on a trip to Branson, and all the rest of us that were in our 50s, you know, we've had a long day, and we're ready to go at the hotel and lay down, and he's saying, he came to me, he said, Mike, where's the pool? And I said, I don't know where the pool is, but we'll go find it. And here I'm about ready to drop after a long day. And here's this 95-year-old swimming his laps in the pool. And I'm just going, wow. Now verse 36 says, now hearing a crowd go by, he began to inquire what, it, what this was. You've been there before. You're somewhere and all of a sudden there's commotion. There's loud talking. You can hear someone coming. And he didn't know what it was. He starts asking, uh, what's going on? But evidently he had heard about Jesus. It would have been hard in the land not to have heard about Jesus. When he was doing these miracles and healing and raising the dead and, and, and people were be, being, being changed, uh, that message probably got out pretty, pretty widespread. So when he asked, he probably didn't know Jesus personally, but he had heard about this one, Jesus, and somebody tells him, hey, the, the, the Nazarene's coming, the one that healed this person and the one that raised this person from the dead that we know here today. He is coming, and what you're hearing, there's a crowd following with him. I thought about that also. He probably didn't know Jesus personally. And Is it possible for us to be around people that are saved? but not be saved ourselves. Young people that go to church and maybe you've been to church all your life because your parents saw to it that you would be there. That is wonderful. But there needs to be a time in your life where faith becomes real to you. And it's not just the faith of your mom or your dad or your grandmother or your granddad. You come to know Christ personally. And if you'll seek him, 
he'll be found of you. If you'll call upon his name, he, you can be saved just like your mom or your dad or your grandparents. So he didn't know Jesus personally, but he's about to meet him. They told him that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. I can't help but mention to you, Nazareth was not very well thought of. It's kind of like, you know, you live there if you can't live anywhere else. It doesn't have a good reputation. In fact, one of the scriptures a man asked when they said Jesus grew up in Nazareth, he says, can anything good come from Nazareth? So whatever town you grew up near like that, just plug that name in there. Can anything good come from that town? But he heard that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. I wonder if he'd thought about that before. I wonder if he had dreams about that. There's a man in in Nazareth, and I've heard that he's healed some people. Oh, could it ever be? Would I ever get to meet him? Could it happen for me? I might have told you before, but I met a tour guide one time that grew up in Romania, and she was under communist Romania until she was nine years old. They came in their, their house all the time and searched everything, took things away. They, they, they made them fearful, uh, threatening them. And this, this uh, girl lived there. She's a grown woman now, but until she was nine years old. I asked her sitting at a table one day, I said, what do you think of America? Now, I do that all the time. I asked someone in Ireland that the other day, and I thought, well, I probably shouldn't have asked that. I'm not sure what he's going to answer, but it was really good. I love to ask people that all around the world. What do you think of America? And this young lady threw her head back like this, and she said, oh, America, Disneyland. We dreamed of being an American. We longed to be in a place where you're free. And I was just humbled by that fact that so easily I can take those things for granted. She's only visited here twice. She visited New York and California. I said, next time, come to Texas, please. I wonder if this man had heard about Jesus. Could he come and heal me? Probably in his wildest imagination. He thought of that. But now he hears Jesus is coming by. And in verse 38, he said, and he called out saying, Jesus, son of David, as Mark was leading us and the team was leading us, that song kept saying, son of David, son of David. That's really significant because this man is acknowledging that Jesus is the Messiah. He's saying, son of David, you're the Jew. You're the one that has been prophesied. He's calling out to him as who he truly is, the Lord. Now, that would have put his life on the line. You're going to acknowledge that this guy's the Messiah? Not everybody's doing that. But he cried out, and I believe he yelled it. Have you ever been in a place where somebody yells out pretty loud? It gets everybody's attention. This man called out, saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. You ever tried to talk to somebody in a crowd, and your voice cannot even be heard because it's too loud, too many people? I wonder if he thought that. I'm going to yell, but he probably won't hear me. I can't see even whether he responds or not. I'm not sure how close he is or how far away he is. I can't see anything, but I'm going to yell out as loud as I can in hopes. Had this man known disappointments in his life? 
he had. We'll see a little bit more. He yells out and he said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way were sternly telling him to be quiet. You ever been told to be quiet? <laughs> I grew up in church and we sat on the back pew on the right-hand side. And I sat right next to my mom. I'm not sure why I had to sit next to my mom, but there's probably a reason why. And my mom never had to tell us to be quiet. Did you have a parent like that? They could just turn and look at you. And there was something in that stare that you knew if you didn't sit up straight, stop talking, stop giggling, whatever you were doing, that it would not go well with you for the rest of your life. And I remember those days. They christened babies in the church that we grew up. And I remember the minister one day saying, I baptize you in the name of the Father. And the little baby got the hiccups. So he said, in the name of the Father, and the baby went... <gasps> And the son and the baby went, and me and Kurt sitting on the back row. I had solid black hair, and he had bright white blonde hair. We started laughing. Why is it, would you please tell me, when you start laughing in church, you can't stop? You know you're not supposed to, but there's something more powerful about that. It takes over. And we started laughing. And the baby just answered the minister every time with a hiccup, every time he went through the whole trinity there. And we thought that was so funny. There's a lot of circumstances in the world. Are we hearing in our country factions and, and groups of people trying to tell us as a church to be quiet? Are they doing that? Are they doing that on school boards? Are they doing that on college campuses? Are they doing that in our government? Are they doing that in, in businesses today? Are they doing that in in our institutions. You guys be quiet. You don't talk like you used to talk. You don't say those things. We're gonna call it hate speech and we're gonna put you in jail. We're gonna pass laws to stop. We don't wanna hear that anymore. The reason they wanna hear it anymore if we're saying the right things is because their conscience hurts them. That's why they want us to be quiet. So there was a crowd around this guy. He's crying out, Lord, have mercy. Jesus, son of David, have mercy. They should have they should have done the same. Yes. Oh, Jesus, would you come over here and see this man? Bartimaeus is a faithful man. Would you come and heal him? But the crowd said, you need to be quiet. And it says they were sternly telling him. They were serious about that. You need to hush. Keep your mouth shut. But you know what Bartimaeus did? Same thing we need to do as a church. It says, those who were sternly telling him to be quiet, but he kept crying out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. There is a time to be silent. Ecclesiastes chapter three, there's a time to speak and a time to refrain from speaking. But men and women, as the church of the almighty God, it's a time for us to speak. We need to speak about Jesus. We need to teach and preach the gospel. We need to share our testimonies. I've asked until people are tired of me asking, but have you written your life story? You may say, I'm only 17. Write it now. You can add to it the rest of your life, but your life story is valuable. It tells what God has done in your life. And the world will tell you to be quiet. The world's telling our children to be quiet in school. And we need to teach them. You mind your teachers. You be respectful. But you don't be quiet 
when it comes to saying the right things and doing the right things. And I love that. This crowd was telling him sternly to be quiet, and he just kept crying out all the more. Son of David, have mercy on me. Some people don't believe they can be forgiven. Billy Graham said that most of the people he had dealt with that are incarcerated in prisons, they really deep down didn't feel that they could be forgiven for what they had done. Aren't you glad that we have a God that so loved us, who knows what all we've done in the past and where we've been, is a God that says, because of my son Jesus, I can forgive you. Coming to me, Jesus said, all you that labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I'm gentle and lowly in heart, you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus' arms are open wide saying, come to me. I can deal with your sin. I can forgive you. I can give you a starting over. How many in this room are glad we can start over? Boy, I am. I've needed to many, many times. And so this man's crying out. All the more as the world told him to stop. And then verse 40, something beautiful happens. This blind man doesn't know how close Jesus is. Close your eyes and think about that. He can hear the commotion. All he knows is to yell loudly. The crowd says, be quiet. You don't need to be doing that. He just yelled louder to be above them. And then the scripture in verse 40 says something wonderful. It says, and Jesus stops. Study that in all the gospels, wherever Jesus walked, wherever he was going. When Jesus stops, something good is about to happen. It says Jesus stopped and commanded that he be brought to him. In the other gospel of Mark, I told you this is recorded also, he uses these words, take courage, stand up, he's calling for you. That's what the people, after they, they heard Jesus stop and he called for this man, where is that man that called out to me? Jesus could hear above the noise of the crowd. I believe that old song that says, I believe above the storm, the smallest prayer can still be heard. I've been in a football stadium filled with thousands of people and the preacher preaching, and it was like he was only preaching to me. And Jesus can hear your prayer even if the crowd is big and the crowd is loud. The littlest child, I believe, that cries out to Jesus, God can hear that prayer and he'll answer it. So he said, take courage. They told him, take courage, stand up. He's calling you. And as Mark said earlier, this is a picture of how we, through blind eyes that need forgiveness and need resurrection power to change us, we, we call out upon Jesus' name and we ask him to forgive us and to come into our life and change us. I remember the day I did. I've never been the same. No matter what anybody could try to convince me the rest of my life, one thing's for sure, I am not the same as I was before I called out to him on that day. Jesus stopped, commanded that he brought, be brought to him, and when he came near, I don't know about you, but if I would have been alive on the, the time Jesus walked on the earth, I'd want to be close to him. If I had children, I'd want them to be in his lap I'd want them to be close to him. I'd want my friends to be there. Even if I had to tear the roof off and let my crippled friend down there, I'd want them to be close to Jesus. And it says, and when he came near. Now, catch something right there. 
This guy's blind. How did he know where to go? In fact, in that other part, that other a gospel again in the story, it says he takes his coat and he just throws his coat and he takes off. He is so excited that Jesus has called him, he just takes off moving. And probably people helped him. Hey, get over here, get over here. He's over this way. Here, I'll help you get there. This man was going to do whatever it took to get close to Jesus. And then Jesus asked him a question in verse 41 that I've always liked to look at every word of this verse. It says, what do you want me to do for you? If you put the inflection on what, what do you want me to do for you? In other words, what are you asking for? What is your request? Philippians chapter four tells us with our prayers, we need to make known to the Lord what our requests are. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, which goes beyond all comprehension, will keep our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Let your requests be made known unto God. So Jesus is asking him, what do you want me to do for you? Put the inflection on the second word. What do you want me? The action. You're here, really want me to do something right now. Do it on the third word. What do you want me to do for you? It's a personal word right to him, not to the crowd. Do it on the next word. What do you want? me to do for you. Make it clear what your request is. What do you want me to do for you? You see how you can put an inflection on every one of those words? And I believe it means all of those things. What do you want me to do for you? If Jesus were standing here tonight and he saw everybody in this room and those online and he said, what could I do for you? What would, what would come across your mind? He's asking me this son of God, the creator of the universe who can do anything, what am I going to ask for? What do you want me to do for you? And he says, Rabboni, master teacher. Lord, I want to regain my sight. Uh-oh, we learned a little bit more about this man. To regain his sight. He's had it before. I don't know what would be worse. Being born blind and never being able to see a sunrise or a sunset or a little baby's face. We've got a new baby in our in our um, uh, extended family and just a few days old and that little guy is so cute. And What would it be like to have never been able to see another human's face? I don't know. What would it be like to have seen before and lost your sight? Because this man says, Lord, I want to regain my sight. Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. Now, that is not an indictment upon everybody that prays that doesn't have enough faith for. Jesus said, if you have the faith of a grain of, uh, of mustard seed, you could say to a mountain, be removed. He's not talking about because you have a lot more faith than everybody else, and that's what caused the miracle to take place. No, he's honoring the man's faith, and he's going to say, I'm going to give you what you've asked. Receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately... That's the way Jesus heals. It's not rehab. It's not therapy. It's not delayed day after day, week after week. And yes, he can do that if he wants to. But when Jesus did these miracles, it was instant. It was immediately. Forty-something times in the Gospel of Mark, the word immediately shows up. When, G when Peter was sinking and when he got out of the boat, 
He sees Jesus walking on the water. If that's you, Lord, let me come to you. Jesus said, come. He steps out on the water. And you know what happened? As long as he was looking at Jesus, he was walking straight to Jesus above the storm, the circumstances, walking on the water with Jesus. But three things happened. He looked aside, saw the winds and waves boisterous. He got afraid and he began to sink. We don't know how far Jesus was away from him, but you remember what it says? Peter, as he began to sink, cried out, Lord Jesus, save me. And the scripture says, immediately, Jesus' hand was on his hand. I don't know how far away he was, but that's nothing for Jesus to get there and in that split second. That's what Jesus wants to do for us. He is here tonight. He loves you. If you call upon him, he may not send a lightning bolt down from heaven. He might not say, go walk on the water at Lake Ray Roberts, but he'll hear you. And you will be never the same because he loves us. Receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he regained his sight. There are some videos on the internet that I cannot hardly watch without too much emotion. You know which ones I'm talking about? The little babies who've never seen their mama's and their daddies very well because their eyesight is so bad. Have you seen some of those? Go home and look them up tonight and, and call me, and you'll be crying. And I'll start crying too because I just cannot watch those things. I watched a few days ago, and, and the little baby, you know, was, is, can't see very well and, and has never seen before where these voices are coming from. And it can be the same ones that get a cochlear implant they've never heard before. But all of a sudden, they take these little rubber-looking look, glasses, and they put on this little child. And, and they're, they're fussing because they, they've never felt that before, and they put those glasses on there, and then you see their eyes go. And they see their mama for the first time, and this big smile comes on their face. I can't help but think that's what heaven's going to be like. We had some brothers and sisters pass away this week, and when they closed their eyes on this earth, and opened them in heaven, I bet you those smiles were pretty big too. I can't watch those videos though. I want to give them all my money. I want to adopt them. I want to just do everything because the joy that those little children have because they can see their mama, they can hear their mama's voice for the very first time. Can you imagine what this man felt? He opens his eyes and there's light hits those irises in the pupil and it hits it again and he'd felt that before and all of a sudden he looks and he sees people he sees the crowd but most importantly he sees jesus he sees jesus we talk all the time about whenever that time comes for us and whenever you have my funeral uh i, I do want it to be a celebration i i truly uh, if somebody cries a little bit, just cry, you know, a little while, but laugh a whole lot. And, and I'll be home. You won't have to cry for me. But we talk about, I want to go see my mama. And I believe she's in heaven. I want to see my mama. I want to go see some of my friends that have already gone to heaven. I want to talk to them. I want to go talk to Peter and James and John. And I was told you before, I got some things to ask Paul. I got some things to ask him. I don't know what all he meant by some of the things he wrote, but but you know what I believe? We're going to want to see Jesus. We're going to want to see Jesus for the first million years. Because then 
we will know fully what all he's done for us. This is a picture of you and I when we're saved. He takes the scales of unbelief off our eyes and we see for the first time as a born-again Christian. It's a picture of when we go home to be with him in heaven that we'll see fully as Jesus sees and we'll understand as Jesus understands. We'll know as he knows. People ask me from time to time and did not long ago, do you think this will be in heaven? Do you think this will be in heaven? And I just tell them, anything that we enjoy here on the earth that God has given us to enjoy, I believe will be in heaven. But it'll be so much better. So much better. Have you ever had some just plain vanilla ice cream and then somebody gave you some bluebell? Yeah, I think that's what heaven's going to be. It's going to be bluebell on steroids better than anything you've ever tasted before. This man regained his sight. And notice what happened next and began following him. The greatest miracle done that day is not that this man gets to see again. The greatest miracle is in this man's heart that says, I got to follow this guy. If every one of us were healed of every physical ailment we ever had, that'd be a wonderful miracle in our personal lives, but that wouldn't be the greatest miracle. The greatest miracle would be, I want to follow Jesus with all my heart. He regained his sight and began following him, glorifying God. He knew to who to thank. He was going to make sure the people knew who, who, uh, who healed him. I, I had to repent. And I, I don't know if God was really upset or not, but it hurt my heart. Several years ago, I had a, a heart issue. It's not fun. I've been, uh, I had a nurse tell me one time that in my life, you've been disgustingly healthy. I don't know what that meant, but... I just have been healthy my whole life, but I had a heart attack. And uh, God bless me. I'm still here today with you guys, and I'm very, very grateful for every day that he gives me. But in a doctor's appointment, a lady, uh, a nurse, was talking to me about some of the things she was going through, and she was struggling a little bit. And almost every time in my born-again life, I've just shared Christ with people and talked to them and prayed with them and stuff. And there was, there was a, this young lady there that day, and I just didn't do it. I just didn't do it. I, I told her, I hope, you, hope everything's better and hope you get well. I hope everything will be good. But when I got home, I just felt miserable inside my heart. And I know God's in control of all those things. And it's not, in, it's not in, uh, that I have to tell everybody. I believe God knows those that he'll call and he'll save. But I want to tell you, my heart hurt. Because I had an opportunity to glorify God for what he did in my life. Well, this man took the opportunity. He regained his sight. He began following Jesus. He glorified God and noticed the outcome. And when all the people saw it, they gave praise to God. That's the ideal. When they see the works Jesus has done in our lives, and they turn and say, I need the same thing. And they turn to him too. Now, that's church. The credit was immediately given to God. God uses our obedience and our witness to touch somebody else. Isn't that an amazing thing? He's given to the church the ministry of reconciliation. That blows me away. That we are to be used 
to tell the message of Jesus so that people can be reconciled to God. He wants to use human instruments. That's a, that just blows my mind. But that's how much he loves us. That's part of his plan. He wants people to see Jesus living in us, and we get to tell him. When they say, what's different about you? Well, sit down a minute. Let me tell you what's different. I'd be the same as you. I'd be going through the same kind of things. I'd be headed the same direction if it weren't for this one who made my eyes to where I can see, who gave me ears to hear, who changed my heart. There's an old Southern gospel song that I love to sing from time to time, and it says, thanks to Calvary, I don't go there anymore. Thanks to Calvary, we don't live here anymore. And that's the message that the blind man had. So I just want to encourage you, just as this man heard about Jesus, he was near, he cried out with all his heart. The world said, be quiet. He didn't listen to the world. He just kept crying out. Jesus stopped. And he'll stop for you tonight too if you need to pray something. I believe that with all my heart. I would go home, close my Bible, and never come back to church if I didn't believe that. He'll cry. If you'll cry out to him, he'll stop for you too. He healed him. He's able to see the man began to follow Jesus and other people saw it and they came to him. That's a divine appointment. This man had known disappointments, but God turned it into a divine appointment. So wherever you're at tonight, I just want to encourage you to look at this simple story in the scripture and say, what about me? What if Jesus were to say to you, what do you want me to do for you? What would you ask him? One more story I want to tell you about God's faithfulness. Uh, years and years ago, I was teaching a third, fourth, and fifth Sunday school class. If you've never done that before, man, I love to teach men. I love to teach men and women together. I love to teach adults. I love to teach college and high school age. And, and, but if you've never been with those third, fourth, and fifth graders, they are intelligent. They can grasp a lot. Peer pressure is not set in to where it's, you know, they're afraid to talk as much. That's a really good season, third, fourth, and fifth graders. Some of your teachers probably know what I'm talking about. Well, this boy and his sister came and visited the church while, uh, and they came to that class while I was teaching. And I talked about God's faithfulness and how much he loves us and, and how he keeps his word. And this really, really cute little girl said, can I tell you something? I said, sure you can. She was visiting the church that day. And she said, uh, one day my dad and I were out in the country and there was a swimming area that, that people were jumping off this little hill and they were jumping in there and swimming. And I really wanted to jump, but it was kind of high. I was still little. But I turned to my dad and I said, Dad, will, will you jump with me? And the little girl said, my dad said, yes, we'll jump together. I'll jump with you. And she looked at me and I thought, where is she going with this story? And she turned and told the whole class, I jumped, but my daddy didn't. What'd your heart just feel like right when I told you that? Well, I turned to her and I said, honey, thank you for telling us that story. I'll bet wherever your dad is today, he's sorry that he didn't jump with you. I was hopeful that that was the circumstance. It might not have been. But you know what? I was so thankful to be able to tell that young girl. You're going to have times in your life, and I do too, where people fail us. 
They don't keep their word. They don't jump with us when they said they would. But God's not like that. If God gives you his word, he'll always keep it. If Jesus says he'll jump with you, Jesus will jump with you. I don't know where that girl is. Now, she's a grown woman now. But I just pray that she remembers, if Jesus says he'll jump, he'll jump with me. So God can take our disappointments. And unfortunately, we fail one another. Amen? We do. I heard of a man one time when he introduced himself to other people. He said, hello, my name is so-and-so. It's nice to meet you. Would you forgive me? And they said, what do you mean forgive you? I don't even know you. I don't know anything you've done. He said, I know, but I'm going to, I'm going to, one of these days, I'm going to fail you and you're going to see it. So I'm just going to ask you to go ahead and forgive me now because I know I'm going to do that. We're going to fail one another. But God can take our disappointments. He can take a blind beggar sitting on the side of the road that the world didn't even care about. And Jesus can have a divine appointment with him. He can stop, call for him. And that man can throw his coat, get out of my way, and run toward Jesus. And when he got there to Jesus, Jesus could answer his prayer for him. That's the kind of God that we have. God can take our disappointments and make them God's appointments. Do you have something tonight you need to cry out to him? If Jesus were to say, what do you want me to do for you? What would you ask him? Because if Jesus says, I'll jump with you. You need somebody to jump with you? I'll jump with you. He'll jump. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for blind Bartimaeus. Oh, what a faithful, faithful man. I thank you that Jesus, you walked and stopped that day and heard that man's cry. You called him to come near you. And Lord, you've done that for us. Every believer has known we were dead in our sins. We were blind. We were deaf. We, we couldn't have anything toward God the way our heart or our life should be. But you had mercy and you called us too. And you gave us new eyes to see and new hearts and new ears. And you gave us a new life. I can't wait to talk to Barnabas in heaven. And ask him what it was like to have his eyes opened again that day and see clearly because you healed him. And then to follow you and see other people come and follow because of what you did in his life. Oh, Lord, what a picture of our lives here today in the church. But, Lord, we're here tonight and we need things too. It may not be to see physically. It could be financial. It could be emotional. It could be in our families. It could be with our job. It could be with our health. God, whatever it is, stop here tonight. See us. Call us to come to you, near you. And, oh, Lord, hear us when we call Jesus, Son of David. You're the Christ. Have mercy on me. Father, would you hear the prayers of anyone here tonight that cries out to you? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.